Hi there, I'm Danny Jones. Welcome to the podcast. On this podcast, we have informal conversations with people whose work intersects with climate in some way. I'm joined, as always, by my excellent co-host, Dr. Ella Gilbert. It's always a real pleasure to have her in these conversations. So good to have her around. Thank you, Ella, for joining us. Today, we're very excited to bring you this conversation with Professor Chris Jackson. Chris is a geologist and a co-founder of Earth Archive, which is a non-profit preprint server for the Earth Sciences. You may have seen Chris on his fantastic Royal Institution Christmas lecture back in 2020, or on his active Twitter account, which is at size matters, S-E-I-S underscore matters. We had a really good conversation. I want to tell you about it in a minute, but a lot has happened since we talked to Chris. <laughs> As of the time of this recording, Professor Jackson is chair in sustainable geoscience at the University of Manchester. However, since we had this chat, Chris announced that he's moving into the private sector, which is big news. I really hope that he enjoys this next chapter of his professional life. I hope it's fulfilling and healthy and everything that Chris would like it to be. I don't know much about the details of the new position. You can look it up uh, online on his Twitter or ask him if you like. Second, if you want to be entertained a bit by a little bizarre niche piece of UK academia, go look up Chris Jackson and Research Fish. Yeah, I, I know, Research Fish online. I'll just leave that there for you. So just do some Googling, look around on Twitter and whatnot. Enjoy. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. So what did we talk about? We talked about a lot. We had a great time. All of us just had a blast chatting with each other. Chris is so friendly and engaging. It was wonderful. We talked about the effect of things like the H-index and other academic success metrics, what happens when you rely too much on those. We talked about how high publishing fees in some journals can exacerbate inequality. We talked about uh, Chris's route into science. We did talk about science too, a little bit. We talked about his research on geology and volcanism. Yeah, great chat. Great science chat too. There are some issues with the sound. There's some crackling here and there, just to let you know. Our editor, Sean Williams Page, has mostly been able to edit that out, but it's still there in some places. Okay, yeah, let's go. So let's get you into this chat with Professor Chris Jackson. Here we go. I'm really happy we're doing this. Thanks for being here. No, it's no problem yeah. at all. I I, um, I was in uh, my hometown this morning um, giving a talk to a local college. So I stayed at my mum's house last night and then walked to my mm. local college where I did my A-levels. Wow. Right, to give a talk. Yeah. And then from the bars. I, I know, it was really, it was kind of cool. And then um, I just jumped on a train back up uh, north. So I've just got back in the house here. So um, yeah, oh, cool. busy, busy bit, day. Busy. What was your talk yeah. about? It was just, um, I talked a bit about Expedition Volcano and talked a bit about science communication and I talked a bit about some of the research I do on ancient volcanic systems using geophysical data. So it was just a very broad thing to kind of talk to these basically students who grew up in the same town and condition I did and talked about like my journey through academia and things and, and why I went to university. So it was, um, yeah, a bit of everything really to A-level students. Sounds great. Yeah. I don't want to have you have to like rehash the whole talk just now, but how did it go? Did they, did you get some it, response and yeah, it was good. Yeah. With it a bit? yeah. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. I got like half an hour's worth of questions after the talk wow. from students. And so they were really, um, 
going for it about you know the filming and some of the science and why I went to university and and yeah it was because I didn't I didn't decide to go to university until the second year of my A level so I was I hmm. you know nobody from my town went to university so it wasn't something that was talked about at careers fairs or or anything hmm. so I went to a tertiary college not an A level not a sixth form. So we, so yeah, so uh, yeah, it was a bit odd. What, what was the thing that flipped the switch for you, where you said, "Oh, you know, I might actually, might actually go to university." What were some of the things that kind of made that flip in your Happen. head? I think somebody probably said, "Oh, have you thought about going to university?" Or there's this thing called university. So you know, part of it was just an awareness, and yeah. um, and then partly, then I said, "Well, what's at university?" And they were like, "Oh, dance music and." girls and, <laughs> and i was Sounds like right. and i can actually and, I was, I was, and do i have to study or is this like a kind of hobby so i um yeah so i, I yeah it was it was literally like that when they, when it was then started to be built upon um yeah you can do geology which is something you really enjoy doing but then there's also this great social experience you could have as well that that for mm. me probably was one of the really significant things where I thought I could carry on doing something I really enjoy doing but then I could also um you know have this this great social experience and I was never one of these people who grew up in a small town who really wanted to leave I was quite happy hmm. in my small town and you know yeah. everybody went and worked at the Toyota factory or at Rolls-Royce or did HMDs hmm. or BTECs and you know it seemed like a buying life to me you know it is, mm. I didn't have any aspirations of being bigger than sort of anybody around me or where I grew up but um it was just an opportunity to carry on learning about geology so it was um yeah it was appealing which which you already liked you already had some sense of like okay geology that's that's for me it was the thing I found easiest um which mm. is I think is I don't think there's any shame in admitting no. that that um it's intu- it became yeah. intuitive. It was intuitive yeah. for you. Like it, it was intuitive. Yeah, exactly. It was much more intuitive than any of the pure sciences, maths, physics, chemistry, mm. biology. I, you know, I did okay at those, not great, but mm. that you know, I had to work quite hard, and and there was a strong appeal in going to do something I didn't have to work that hard to, to, to achieve. Oh, always. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at all of my career when I say that, and I'm like, what have I done? A common theme is just finding things that okay, I will learn something from them, but you know. What's the path, path of, of least, least resistance. resistance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be found out at some point. So <laughs> maybe this is the expose. Oh, right well, this is. <laughs> oh no, this is it. No. Gotcha. Yeah. I, you know what? I think, I, I think. I think. I think everybody knows it, right? And everybody probably has that sense about themselves, anyway. Oh, um, totally. And I think. I think it's okay to say. You know, we have to work hard to achieve things, or, or you know, I'm only doing this for this particular reason, not the reason that you're doing it, right? I think we, I think mm. we can have that diversity of of motivations in in why we're doing science. Um, so, but okay. yeah, there's no gotchas. That, you know, like if somebody was like, you need to have this particular definition of success, and if you don't meet it, then you know, you're not part of the gang. People absolutely mm. do that, of course, as we know. But um, you know, we need to push back against that. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah, so definitely. many ways to be a scientist, so many ways to succeed and so many ways to contribute to society and to science that, exactly. you know, it can look like a different mm-hmm. thing for every different person. That yeah. reminds me, 
that's a good link in with a talk that you gave at the British Antarctic Survey a couple of months ago. I don't remember exactly. My sense of time yeah. is weird these days. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was uh, could have been two years, two my, weeks, <laughs> yeah, a couple of decades. I don't remember. I don't <laughs> Maybe it was in the future, and I'm time traveling. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a talk you're about to give. I'll tell you what yeah, the exactly. take home is, so that you I'll know how to get a pen. Let me just get a pen. I'll take down some notes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't go back in time and kill your own grandfather is the message from the, the time traveling future. That seems to lead to all sorts of plot holes and inconsistencies. And don't do that. But yeah, speaking about that kind of diversity of success uh, criteria or ways to think about success, um, you gave a talk about um, publication metrics and the kind of dangers of over-relying on those publication metrics, like numbers of papers published and citation counts and H indices and all these other metrics that we've invented to torture ourselves with. <laughs> um, and one of your take-homes was that the over-reliance on those publication metrics mm -hmm. uh, ends up excluding people, especially people from historically, you know, excluded backgrounds. Uh, yeah. They already, you know, are starting a few steps back when it comes yeah. to, you know, getting publication metrics. Because a lot of that stuff does come down to your network and the people that you know and, and you know, how you know plugged what? into that world are you? straight up cash too right mm, you know to yeah. publish in certain journals and um <laughs> you know if you're looking at eleven thousand dollars i think it was or several you know several several thousand pounds that instantly is a financial barrier and it also mm -hmm. then is a kind of exponent in the matthew effect isn't it almost because you know to get the money to publish in that journal you need to have a certain amount of prestige and equipment to kind of do the experiments and then if you publish in that journal you're more likely to get funding to do the experiments that are going to mm. get them published in that journal so it, it starts to it starts to exclude certain people because there's actually a financial barrier and how do you how do you break into that i mean putting aside the fact that you know I'm not going to say I'm a successful academic at all, but you know, as an experienced academic, or okay, I'll put it mm -hmm. another way, as an old man who's been in academia a long time, <laughs> um, you know, I can I can look at myself and I can look at people of a similar peer group, and and we couldn't afford to publish in there. And that's not to say we should be able to, and these other people shouldn't. I'm just saying, mm. I think it's remarkable how many people are being excluded by things that um, that are, that are currently being um, implemented, and 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 then on top of that. Danny, is the point you raise about you know then being measured by that as 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 you know people are measuring uh, where we publish to assess us as individuals, and mm. and that's a, that's a huge problem because nobody's saying okay you haven't published there is that because you're not very good is it because you didn't have eleven thousand dollars which is what right, they should ask right. yeah it's a two tier really. system if you allow that to kind of propagate because then you've got the people who can afford it who end up staying in that group and then everybody else. No, exactly, and, and it's, it's, to, it's not a permeable membrane. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly, and and in fact, in fact, I'd go as, I'd go further than that and say it, it could be a one-way membrane, of course, right? So once you cross mm. that threshold and you're on the other side and you're in the club, you know, you can mm. then you start you start doing well because there is that self-fulfilling prophecy of this person must be good because they published there, and if they must be good, we give them money, right. and that money allows them to demonstrate by certain metrics that they're good, and then around and around we go. And, yeah. and, and and nobody comes back the other way, you know, because people like reputations can be hard to lose. Yeah. You know what, though? You do see that on people's email signatures. You see people with, you know, where they've published and what their citation metrics oh, are. No, and it's, really? 
gross. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry. It's, it's oh, super gross, and you do gross, see that. Yeah. Yeah, and if I mean the equivalent on Twitter bios, nobody I haven't seen anybody crass enough to do that yet, but I've certainly seen people listing where they've been awarded, like even if they were awarded like an award something ten years ago or they were a grantee from oh, the wow. ERC. So it's But there's it's, so few words. Why choose that of all the things? Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, oh, you know, it's gosh. probably like some kind of academic dating website where if you wave around <laughs> these numbers, you know, like you get more followers. I don't know. I I I'm I don't I can't answer that question, Ellen. Academic <laughs> dating. You call uh, it the math the Matthew effect a minute ago? Is that you basically yeah, so described ma- it as yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, just the Matthew effect. It's the idea that um success success and privilege begat success and privilege so mm. once you kind of get on that that treadmill if you will then mm. you know it's a, you just things just keep coming to you because things have already come to you so a really good example of this is 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 something that's kind of close to my heart i guess is you know if you win awards from professional societies so professional societies or, or learner societies have awards and in the nomination paperwork one thing you can write down in that nomination is this person has already won awards from this other society before <laughs> Wow. Right. So, so suddenly part of the so part of the argument you're making when you're nominating somebody or the or the committee's assessing this application is how good do other people think this person has been? Well, they <laughs> must be good because these other people have awarded this person this thing. And if we give this person this thing, then in some really weird way, our society is given extra credibility because we're awarding all these awards. I mean, it's just bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> oh and my gosh, yeah. Yeah. So, how do you win your first one? You know, it's almost like how do how do you get on the and you in the well, argument people make is you shouldn't we shouldn't have awards. I guess it's like that making a break in music or making a big break in TV or those kinds of things. It's how do you penetrate that first barrier? Once you're in, you're in. But well, hopefully, exactly. <laughs> we talked with Selena Jose a couple uh, episodes ago. Her, it might be the previous one by the time we release these, and she talked about this on twitter as well that she learned that a lot of these awards the culture you're allowed to and the culture is just to approach people and say hey i think i deserve this award and that's why would you please nominate me you like approach someone and ask them to nominate you for it and who we didn't like who knows that like you know that's that's one of these bits of hidden knowledge that you know unless somebody tells you you just don't know that that's how it it works and it's an unwritten norm you know it's an unwritten norm isn't it i mean i and I, I have very, very conflicting feelings about this because, you know, on one mm. side, some people argue we just shouldn't have an awards at all because it hardwires in this privilege uh, effect. It um, excludes certain groups. So some people mm-hmm. say we should just get rid of them all. If you, you know, that that is definitely, you know, I have a huge amount of sympathy for that. You know, there's a midway point, isn't there, where then we say we're going to keep these awards, but we're going to kind of try and diversify the committees and diversify um, who's going to be awarded those things and also diversify what we recognise, of course. Right. So at the moment, a lot of rewards are around recognising the brilliance, quote unquote, of individuals. And we know that and, and often the scientific brilliance, let's not forget. Whereas the contributions to science cannot simply be technical, they can be pastoral or in terms of mentorship. So we could recognise yes, an individual yes. for those things. But mm-hmm. then we could also recognize teams or groups because, you know, these things do not happen in vacuums. Even career awards for experienced scientists reflect the body of work and the efforts of, uh, of uh, God knows, you know, like hundreds of people potentially have, have, have done that. So 
you know, do we, do we do that? Do we say we've got awards, we're stuck with them? Let's let's try and reconfigure them so they 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 look at they they represent in a different way. And then there's some people who just think mm. that you know everything's a meritocracy and it's all fine, and they're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Straight yeah. up wrong. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Just, just no from wrong. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that connects nicely with again on a previous episode we talked about what you're describing is the the hero model is one way to say this one way to express it is to say well the hero model is where you just take a few individual scientists and you put them up on a pedestal and you say this person is is amazing we should we should all aspire to be this person and just like you're talking about um the resources go to that person by and large the you know uh, person the person time like the you know, postdocs go to that person the students go to that person and all of that uh capability just gets concentrated mm. so they can write more papers and they can do more things they can produce more scientific output so like you said it kind of accelerates and there's a really nice article about that about the end of the hero model that i've I've shared before that makes exactly exactly the same point you're making that we should have awards for teams and awards for you know how well is this team doing at addressing a big scientific question that uh the 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 award system the hero model we have right now wastes a lot of resources in oh no absolutely uh, squabbling between like different fields and even like subfields you know we'll squabble over yeah we're kind of fighting over scraps you know basically. and also and also remember yeah. this whole thing scales up to institutions hmm. right so you know you end mm -hmm. up in institutions on pedestals and a lot of resources get diverted to those institutions so i think it goes beyond individuals it scales to then groups or maybe institutions, you know, or, or, or research centers within an institution, but then it scales up at these biggest. And in fact, it could scale up to countries. Yeah, of course, yeah, we end up with a, we end up, you know, and if you wanted to be really extreme, you'd say the global North is sucking up a lot of the, the knowledge mm -hmm. and finances is going into, in fact, a large part of the earth is, you know, the globe is, 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 is soaking up all of that. So, um, I think the hero model is is problematic for all the reasons you you outline. Often, because I still think a lot of the hero model is based around a very limited definition of what achievement and attainment is. Yeah. I'd still yeah. have problems even if we were like these people are great mentors, these people are great educators. Let's let's worship them. I'd still have a problem with that even if mm. we had a broader set of criteria we were assessing against. Yeah. Um, well. We don't have to figure it all out at the at the moment. Luckily, you know, <laughs> we could try, but we're not that kind of podcast where we don't we, we don't necessarily yeah. try to solve. I, kind of, I wanted to relate a, a personal experience with this or a personal observation along these lines. That so a couple of years ago, I was awarded this fellowship, and I did work hard for it. I mean, I did put in the time in terms of the application and things, but I did notice something weird when I got this fellowship. Other opportunities started to show up at a much greater rate than they had been showing up before. People were inviting me to be a co-I on things, co-author on things, on review papers. And I'm like, what is, what's happening? It felt <laughs> a bit bizarre because from where I was sitting, I'm like, I'm the exact same person I was. I was. Before, <laughs> you know, just before my <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm the exact same person I was, uh, you know. I don't believe ago, any of this. Ago. I reckon you were prancing around no. your room going, at last, 
they recognize someone's recognizing last <laughs> it took you all a while to catch up but look at me and how fine i am <laughs> well that's only after everybody goes to bed <laughs> yeah. you are you are right though you are you're exactly but you know if i look at you know if you look at everybody though and i certainly i do this for myself i think like i look at the 14 year old kid who was not particularly mm. hugely engaged with that you know with school when you know when i was growing up like where are we now like where am i now like what's changed am i the same person you know you get trappings a fellowship here an award there you write mm-hmm. a paper maybe you raise a bit of money but you know and you you know you interact with a lot of people and and you you take different things from those interactions but ultimately at your core in some ways you you do retain a, a very early sense of yourself or i think i think that's mm. i think that's a valuable thing to take with you because as long as that initial self was rooted in some humility and mm. like you're you're making this point, right? Suddenly everybody was worshiping the ground you walked on, but actually mm. you were kind of the same person you were before. As long as that increased attention and adulation doesn't then corrupt you to then become the monster you feared before. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then I, I don't I don't think I, yeah, but your what you just explained, Danny, is exactly the Matthew effect, isn't it? Because you mm-hmm, got one mm-hmm. fellowship, so you you crack the door, and then. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly everybody was, you know, your name was potentially on a website somewhere, wasn't it? Or, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, your paper that was in the kind of um, your application pack was remembered by one of the people on the assessment committee. And it, 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 in the same with me, you know, I'm on this mm-hmm. podcast, you know, nobody was asking mm-hmm. me to go on podcasts five years ago. And then I went on one <laughs> podcast and then, another, you know, and then suddenly you get more and more opportunities and you can question yourself like, you know should I take these opportunities? Am I good enough for these opportunities? How do I share mm. them around? Because one thing you can do when opportunities arise for you is actually then try and democratize things by actually declining them, but actually trying to bring other people in. Yeah, that's right. Because you're getting access to these, I don't want to just keep using the word resources, but yeah, I love that point that you can try to share what you, the opportunities that you're starting to get, try to lift other people up is a, is a quick way to say it. Now, yeah, can absolutely. I the privilege that I'm now accumulating can i use that to lift other people up that would be ideal that would feel really good if i could do that no and yeah, i'm sure and, yeah. and you know I'm, and you you undoubtedly are and i think we i think we often forget in our own way i think two things one is we forget in our own way that we actually have some privilege often we feel like our mm. lives are terrible and sometimes they are absolutely <laughs> but often we still have more privilege than somebody else that's unseen to us and a very yeah, and yeah. so that's one thing the other thing is then you know we probably are though doing small actions that are bringing other people in um that we don't even mm. know about you know we don't we don't see them we don't hear them you know we don't see them reading your paper on the other side of the world and it triggering something which then you know got them to do a piece of work they were otherwise um, struggling to do mm. we don't see that but it, but we are we are doing that well that's that's the hope at least yeah yeah that's that's the hope i mean one of the little things that i've been proudest of along those lines is a couple of years ago i had this uh, unsupervised classification paper this machine learning paper and we uh, i made an effort to put just like a basic example code up on my github and i tried to kind of make people aware of that and it's been really cool to see people picking that up and doing stuff with it, like using that same kind of method in other parts of the global ocean. And, you know, and it's, it's really exciting. And I didn't like invent the method. I just packaged it a certain way and kind of used it in a certain way. Um, But that was enough of a contribution, it seems 
that people can build on it now. People can take that and say, okay, cool. I see how this works. I'll go over here with this other ocean data and, and, you know, apply the same technique to the crochet or, you know, some other, other part yeah. of the, the world. <laughs> so that, that's really rewarding. And you know, that's not something that's necessarily, necessarily measured by a, a metric, by a conventional metric. Well, this yeah. is the problem though. These, the, these kind of, um, I was going to say soft interactions, but that's completely incorrect. Unseen interactions or, mm. you know, they're, they're just non-classic examples of you impacting positively somebody's life. And, and we don't have a, a, a reward and incentive framework that's well set up to capture those sorts of things. Therefore, mm-hmm. if, you're do, if, you're, if your impact as a scientist and as a human being is, is in that space and in that way, you will be seen to be doing worse than the person who's writing papers in fancy journals and raising millions of pounds, right? Because, mm. but, you know, who's, who's really changing lives? Who's really impacting society in a positive way? Um, trying to reframe how that, that works is, is hard because it requires a challenge to the meritocracy. Mm-hmm. And it requires a lot of self-reflection from people who have achieved under the old system, yeah. <laughs> because they're the ones. <laughs> <laughs> they might might get their feathers ruffled a little bit if you uh, question the current system that has rewarded them so much and has given them so many so many pats on the back. Yeah, um, you don't get you don't make yourself popular with the Cryosphere uh, Awards. Um, oh no! Yes, yeah, I was a that. bit of that. <laughs> There was some yeah, camps, tell, let's say. <laughs> I was involved in helping write some of the the, the letter, I think it was, the, the letter that went back to the awards committee with uh, Benjamin Kiesling. There was a few other people who we were talking to. But, yeah, tell us, tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the committee decided that given that they had such um, low diversity in the nominations in the cryosphere sciences that they would just not award that year they said okay this is clearly not representative of all the people doing great work in this field because we've only got nominations from a certain demographic therefore Mm. we're just not going to give out the award and next year we're going to do much better we're going to really target those nominations so we have a better candidate pool and some Mm. people who uh probably have benefited from the old system, did not like this. Um, Mm. And there was a lot of argument about, well, this is really bad news for whoever did get nominated, but because they happen to not be diverse enough, um, they're not going to get any recognition. Um, And then there was the other camp, which was saying, if we're only recognizing the same sort of people, what's the point in the award at all? Which is Mm. essentially what we've been talking about. So it's those kind of... uh, the the bastion of the old ways versus perhaps the new ways <laughs> that recognizes that there's not just one way to celebrate success. And the problem with that whole exchange was, is having having looked at it on AGU Digest, was you know people were kind of saying it was forced diversity, right? So what they what they say by what they mean by that is, you know. You, these diverse co- candidates, and I hate that term. These diverse candidates, you know, know. they're they're, un, they're 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 unqualified for this award. And and you know, mm. you can bet yourself that none of the existing awardees over the last Lord knows how many decades in that AGU space, but it applies to other societies, of course. They've probably not sat around too long afterwards thinking, "Was I deserving of this award, or was there anybody else more deserving?" <laughs> like, none of those mm. people, and we know of which demographic they normally fall, have have had that self awareness to say. Firstly, they've not had that self-awareness to say, am I deserving of this? And secondarily, they've then not used the opportunities that have come from that award to elevate others. And I'd, and mm. I'd sort of have more sympathy if somebody, you know, 
And you see, and to be fair, we are increasingly seeing this. People who win those awards, if they are in that majority demographic who typically and historically have won awards and are part of that very central group, they are then using the opportunity to, to, you know, some people are declining awards, of course, but then some people are actually using that to talk about their group and and who hasn't been heard and who hasn't been recognised. And I have a huge amount of respect because it's a very fine line to tread there, isn't it? Do you accept it and, and elevate or do you reject it? And then it goes to the same people and... Um, mm. But that cryosphere one was just a was a was a mess, right? Because because partly the people who were arguing against it also felt undermined, of course, right? Because what because the people who were saying let's not award this, they suddenly the the people who were very critical of it were. But when I won mine thirty years ago, I was really good, right? I mean, that's <laughs> we all agreed. Nobody's like maybe not. <laughs> But wait, the system isn't broken, is it? Because I've put I a lot of my, one. <laughs> I put a lot of self of my self esteem is resting on this. <laughs> it's what it yeah. what it can sound like. What it can sound like sometimes. Oh, gosh, oh so my gosh! <laughs> no, I wanted to switch. I wanted to switch gears though, because speaking of um, getting out of maybe a depressing topic, I, I wanted to take this opportunity, and I'm sure you get this a lot. But I wanted to thank you for the awesome, awesome job you did with the Royal Institution Christmas lecture. Not this past Christmas, but the one before it. Um, yeah, that was so so good. I really really enjoyed that a lot. Yes, and actually, it was it, it was even <laughs> even more than enjoyed it a lot. So it was obviously during all the lockdowns. You know, it was during this period of extended isolation and this period yeah. of extended you know kind of suffering in one way. Um, yeah. And so that that lecture, me and my son sat down and watched it together, and it ended up being a really nice bonding moment for us because we both like science, we both like nerding out about stuff, and it was really really cool to sit down and like a really nice family moment to watch it together and to, to nerd out together all, all over all the cool <laughs> stuff you were talking about. So yeah, so thanks for everything that you did. No, uh, that was putting that really Christmas nice to hear. Together. No, I'm mm. still in therapy for it. Um, was, <laughs> I bet that was a lot of work. It was. It was. It was. Oh. I mean, it was a lot of work. There was a lot of grim stuff that happened, you know, in the lead up to it through the publicity and, oh yeah, you know, that was that kind was, of which was which was, was pretty unpleasant. So you know, it was it was nightmare. You, yeah, yeah. You were trying to do something good and positive that was you know for yourself, but also for other people. And then there was this background hum of of, of people who were accusing you of being unqualified to do it. Uh, uh, what's really nice about what you say though Danny is you know the, the Christmas lectures you're trying to do something which speaks to a group of a, a broad church of people of different ages with different lived mm -hmm. experiences and trying to bring people together so it's really nice to hear that you know in this case you know two different like two different generations mm -hmm. with shared interest of science and even if people didn't have that love of science beforehand even if they left the Christmas lectures thinking science is important in this way that this guy sort of talked about, or the, you know, the, myself and Tara. <laughs> this guy and really Helen. liked that bit of science. He really liked science. I respect science. that. <laughs> 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 he really likes rocks. I don't know yeah, why, yeah, but he's really yeah, into it. Like, I'll TV leave it to yesterday, him. He was just like blabbering on about rocks. It looks, I don't know what's wrong with him, but he looked like it was fun. You know, <laughs> Glad I someone's just, doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, it's good. Yeah. Cause it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of hard work and, um, but I was very proud of what we produced. I'll be honest. I, I, yeah, it was I, amazing. I, you should be. I think, I think there's, yeah, I, 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 it, it does warp. I don't really think about it that much, and people don't talk about it that much anymore. So mm -hmm. when I hear that people had a positive relationship with the show, um, 
with the lecture, I, 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 it does, it does make me happy. So that's good to hear. Thank you. Yeah, Did you do right. any in person beforehand, or was that the first one you'd done, and it happened to be the televised one? That so I, you know, I'd done, I'd done lectures, um, public lectures before, but not in that. And I'd actually I'd done one public lecture in the Royal Institution Faraday Lecture Theatre before, as part mm. of this thing called the Discourse. Um, which is every Friday, one Friday every month. So I'd been in that physical space with an audience and talked about, you know, volcanoes in, in that in that forum. But yeah, when I actually stood up to do the recording day for the Christmas lectures, because it's a whole day and a bit, remember, for an hour of mm. TV or 58 and a mm. half minutes, um, mm. I'd never, you know, we didn't do a dry run, so to speak. We did a few bits where we, 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 um, or yeah where we kind of did a dry run a bit of an audition or practice run but it was uh wow no dress rehearsal of... straight in on preview straight night in. yeah yeah <laughs> wow. if you look close enough you, if you look if you look close enough you'll notice that probably <laughs> do you know you like came across the... really natural i don't know you came across really comfortable and natural and like it's just because my whole life is chaotic danny so when there's chaos going on mm. on live tv it doesn't really bother me that much you know like with <laughs> colored the, you know, balls the flying everywhere water dye <laughs> <laughs> the coloured balls are a good example of that. You know, we knew that it was going to misbehave. We'd sort of trialled it a bit and the balls were flying around everywhere. And the yeah, only yeah. thing I had to do was just to ease myself into the chaos and and basically work with the fact that the thing wasn't working as it was, but to try and say that there's these places that carbon stored in the carbon cycle. And that was what people needed to get from it. But, you know, I think mm. I think it wasn't trivializing the science because it's a very important point we were trying to make. But what it did is it, I really liked the way some of the demos worked because they were a bit old school in that they didn't quite work. And science is like that. Even the fanciest, yeah. most expensive science doesn't even work. And you can bet your ass science, which is done with sticky tape and inflatable balls <laughs> and like Velcro, that's not going to work either. <laughs> so, so it, it could be a large a good... hadron collider, or it could be coloured balls in a tank. Uh, something will break Both and go wrong. Yeah, exactly. And so we need to bring. I think. So I think there's an honesty that's brought in that chaos about the way scientists work and, and the scientific method. And I do like that warts and all portrayal of when we're doing science communication. I think it's important not to give this overly varnished view of things. Yeah. That's what we're that's what we're doing here today, isn't it? And this is three, three, three scientists sitting around. <laughs> this is what it, what it can be like is, sometimes. Yeah, this is uber professional, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the whole yeah. thing is a bloopers reel. <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny way to put it. I like that. Oh man, so that's the story of my to... life. <laughs> <laughs> Even the boxing message. Boxing, oh, definitely boxing the boxing bits. Yeah, <laughs> even more yeah, so. <laughs> The bloopers real way is going slow mo punched in the face. <laughs> no, you know Chris Ella. Ella is a champion boxer. She's a champion London boxer and has has her own gym that she runs and everything. Oh, yeah, and no, I've been uh, I've been getting punched in the face for ten years this year. Oh wow! Happy, happy yeah. anniversary! Thank you. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've got. I've still got most of my facial features in the same place. I think I you look amazing. So I think you look amazing. I think you look Thanks. amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've clearly done something right. I don't know what it is. But... I thought you were going to make a joke about like the hits just being symmetric, just like well, one, oh, one, that too, maybe. one knocks you out of sort one way, and then the other one knocks you. Out of sort yeah. Well, I've got right. plenty of silver medals to show for it, but. <laughs> <laughs> no boxing, as they say. There's no prize for second place. Second place. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs>
<laughs> That's excellent. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So Chris, I wanted to ask what, what have you been working on lately? What's your kind of science that you've been digging into keeping in mind that you're talking to uh, two people who normally consider the rocks to just be like, okay, those are there. Those aren't <laughs> on our time scales. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not going anywhere. They're not moving. We don't really have to worry about mantles convecting and things like that. Um, but I'd be curious yeah. to hear what you've been what you've been doing lately scientifically. Ooh. Yeah, we've still been doing a lot of work around um, what we say crystal magmatism, so the way in which rocks melt within the Earth and how that magma migrates within the Earth's crust and is expelled at volcanoes. And particularly, we've been working on using geophysical images, so uh, seismic reflection data. So these are essentially CT scans of the Earth's subsurface where you get an image of the rock layers underneath our feet. And we've been using those to try and understand how magma is in place. So when sills, so these horizontal sheets of magma and dikes, these vertical sheets of magma, hmm. when they're intruded into younger sedimentary, or sorry, into older sedimentary rocks, how the Earth's crust deforms by how the Earth's crust folds, how it faults, and how we can look at that deformation to work out where that magma has migrated to and when. And from that, we hmm. can try and build up the eruptive history or the magmatic history of a region. So, you know, the, the classic view of volcanology is the, you know, the hero standing next to a lava flow, sticking a hammer in, in a silver suit, and, or, you know, somebody standing next to a fumarole with gas coming out. And, and they're all methods mm. of analysis of vol active volcanoes. Mm -hmm. But what I'm really interested in, and uh, I've been working on, is looking at um, ancient volcanoes. By ancient, I mean anything from 2 million years old to... I think some of the oldest we've looked at are 160 million years old. So these are now buried no. in, in underneath older sedimentary layers, so in uh, what oh, we right. call sedimentary basins. So they're, they're remote oh. to us. So they're remote. They're not in the hills around us. They are buried one to four kilometers beneath wow. our feet. And we That's have cool. to use these images to build up like an acoustic picture of, of what they look like. And um, hmm. yeah, it's really, really awesome. I mean, I... I uh, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this before, but I was like a pretty poor igneous geologist at university. I wasn't really interested in microscopes. I wasn't really interested in geochemistry. Um, so volcanology, uh, the way I was taught, it was very much framed around hand, you know, what what rock is this? What's it made mm. from? What's the composition mm -hmm. of it? And here's a volcano. There was like a picture of one. But nobody really <laughs> then went into like, <laughs> nobody then went into these volcanoes are fed by these amazing things called sills and dikes and they ascend from the lower crust, so 20 kilometers down within the earth and they come up and they deform the earth's surface with folding yeah. and fracturing. You know, nobody put it to me in that way. So it's only about 10 years ago that I really kind of returned back to, I guess, being strongly drawn towards wanting to study crystal magmatism and volcanism, but using mm. this specific set of techniques and looking at magmatism in a much uh, bigger scale structural geology way. So, um, yeah, I've been doing a lot, a lot of that. I, whenever people ask me this question, I always struggle to answer because I have got this like strangely, let's just be honest, unfocused research portfolio is probably <laughs> the way of describing. <laughs> what i do curiosity you know you just want to have your fingers thank in so many pies yeah thank you i'm can also you, quite you, similar in that regard could you be my representative <laughs> <laughs> pa it's services a, it's also but it's also that thing where you uh you know you have a distribution of projects right where like well here's the projects that will probably pan out they're relatively low risk and then I'll, over here i'll have my projects which may not pan out they're higher risk but they'll be higher rewards so you know that's that's part of what you're doing you're just playing the whole that whole spread field betting and, you know spreading your yeah 
I, I, you know what? I'm, you know, as a, as a good interviewee, I should just say yes. But I'm going to say I'm nowhere near as strategic as that. It is just a complete mess of people and data and projects and just awesome stuff that I really want to find out with people who I love working with. And I find yeah. it very hard to turn down people or data or problems. And 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 mm-hmm. as long as I feel I can broadly contribute something to trying to solve that problem and i will get something from the human interaction through the project or scientifically i'm going to draw something from it as well that sort of crosses the threshold for me and and Mm. and being more strategic you would say let's go and work with all these like terrible people because they're going to do this really important (laughs) piece of science and people would we know that all right we know people will Mm. will go and work in those particular spaces whereas me and others will find that kind of harder because you know, I've you know, it's kind of put on this earth to kind of do something hopefully more enriching than just writing. Yeah. And you forget about how important the people are in science as well, not just science, all of it. I mean, if you go to a job interview and you're really horrible and boring and no one wants to work with you, you're not going to get the job. Like people want to work mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. they enjoy spending time with. If you're interacting with someone and they're fun they're funny they're interesting they've got something to contribute to the science I, and it's I, an I, interesting I, project you're more likely again, to I, say I, I, I want to work I, with you i i'm i'm shaking my head i wish that were true <laughs> because i <laughs> i think to a large part ella I, I completely agree i think to a large part that is true i think still there are people who do deeply value um the classic measures of academic success and they are willing to look beyond um <laughs> uh, deficits of personality or or, mm. or, or, un- or 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 unpalatable opinions or um just because we need to focus on the scientists not the scientists so you know people mm. we see this there was a paper was it two days ago that was published about um you know scientists need to fight back against imposition of um limits to free speech and you know, if you read around that paper, and we've seen this, it's nothing new. It's the kind of cancel culture thing. It's like what we care about is what scientists do. We don't really care about how they do it. We don't really care about whether they've got political views that uh, limit the, uh, you know, the, the the opportunities to others. Mm-hmm. All we care about is this particular scientific thing. And we we see this all the time. You know, the Nobel Prize winners. You know, people people desperately want to decouple the human from what they're doing. Or what mm-hmm. they say, and I argue that that's not good enough, mm-hmm. uh, because for every hero who goes on to do something spectacular, they maybe push aside fifty people who then do not have an opportunity to contribute yeah. to the scientific endeavor. And so we've mm-hmm. lost forty-nine people. Let's say we've lost those fifty people from that. And this person, like those forty-nine people, could have potentially achieved all of what that one person did, plus. Mm-hmm. They could have brought along another fifty, yeah. right? And I and, yeah. and I've sat in interviews, I've sat in interviews where that's been talked about, where people, you know, the, there was a classic case I remember a few years ago where there's somebody who was deeply problematic, and it was really obvious. But half the interview committee were advocating for bringing this person on board, even though a bunch of us were like, "No way." And one person mm. said, and it always stuck with me, "It will be better to have this person." inside the tent pissing outwards than outside the tent pissing in and what they meant by that is it's better to have that person in our institution than it is to have them outside our institution because you know scientifically we'll draw something from them and you know they're a bit problematic person 
Exactly. Oh my gosh. And I just thought of how toxic the workplace would have been. That was the only thing I yeah. thought. Of. Like, <laughs> you want to have a nice <laughs> life. You know, like, you want to make wanna, things easy for yourself. Like, you want to choose geology and you want to choose people you like spending time with. In that yeah, scenario, yeah. it almost feels like the person who is advocating for that. It almost, I can imagine them going, okay, hear me out. I think we should swallow some poison, and here's why. <laughs> we'll build up an immunity, and if we don't, we'll die. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. So I think I think you're right. I think if, I think for the most part, when you go to interviews, people do genuinely feel that that human connection is an important part then of getting scientifically the best out of everyone. Right, I, I agree mm-hmm, with that. Mm-hmm. But I, equally, I've seen cases, and we all know of people. I think where clearly that consideration's not been made because there is such there is such an opportunity to to get this person to shine in a certain way for your institution or your research center whatever it is yeah, yeah. i can relate to that because the number of jobs i haven't got based on the quality of my jokes i mean they should have put me like <laughs> number one ranked you know and I've, I've come second or third in so many interviews I, it's like, Come on, i told you my, my best jokes <laughs> I can't believe my LinkedIn notifications aren't buzzing off the hook, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we, we see their H index, but what about their banter index? Yeah. <laughs> it should be introduced. It should be introduced. I'm just, I'm just saying, I've got really good puns. <laughs> just lock your social media account before you apply, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. You know, uh, this is kind of a, going back to the the previous topic, but I wanted to go back and react to something you you talked about with geology, because um, I'm not a geologist. I have, you know, I, I learned a little bit about it in in high school, a tiny amount in high school, but it was really like it was not taught by somebody who had really much interest in the field. So they sort of were just like, well. Here's some rocks. I don't know. Scratch them with stuff, I guess, and you know, tell, us, <laughs> tell us what scratches the other thing. This um, hurts because and, it's all true. You know, I vividly yeah. remember having a, a a workshop where I had to we had to lick rocks in my oh, first right. year of undergrad. Totally on board with that. But carry on. <laughs> lick all licking, the rocks. Licking rocks. Yeah. Um, Sounds like yeah, a Simpsons yeah. episode. <laughs> Yeah, how sensitive is the human tongue? You know, can you detect tiny variations in in salinity in ocean water, for example? You know, like let's or or, or rock composition. Pacific. Um, yeah, Pacific. <laughs> this is mode water. <laughs> Low carbon content. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember being so shocked in a good way when I went to uh, university. And I took this um, solar system astronomy class. And so we talked about, you know, the geology of all of the different terrestrial terrestrial planets, for example, and how, you know, the earth is still geologically active. And I, I really liked having my mind expanded by this idea that, uh, you know, plate tectonics is driven by radioactive de- decay. And just thought like that is so. I, mean, I remember just like this moment of like what, <laughs> what <laughs> Ra- radioactive decay of rocks throughout the earth, like or generates enough heat to push, you know, on long time scales these gigantic plates around, move the mantle yeah. around, you know, create mountains, create yeah. earthquakes. Yeah. It's just really, really uh, mind blowing. And uh, we did this other fun calculation where you can show uh, just using some scaling why small rocky bodies cool off faster than big rocky bodies, you know, despite having kind of a lot of surface area. And uh, so I, I guess I wish that some of that had been brought into the high school situation. Cause I feel like not just for me, but for everybody else, yeah. it'd be so cool to have some, 
uh, to, to just let people know, like, no, you don't understand. We're, we're sitting on top of this giant collection of rocks, which is decaying. And that's why we have earthquakes. It can be so, it can be so mind blowing. It's how this, this is a very, um, kind of, painful conversation because you know we, we're looking at declining numbers of geoscience um mm. or geology applicants in, in the uk and in, in other countries um you know how do we bring that wonder like how, how do we get that wonder to people when they're choosing their their degree programs how do we how mm. do we set up that bigness of the of the importance the bigness of the problem if you will to mm-hmm. aspiring young minds that brings them into geology because clearly well not clearly but maybe you know a lot of those 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 school students school pupils are have got a very fixed sense of what geology is and what it isn't and maybe it's just for earthquakes maybe it's just volcanoes maybe it's just dinosaurs and if not and if those three things don't tickle them and and, and draw them in then they're going to go and do another stem discipline right they're going to go and do, mm-hmm. study something else. So how do we, how do we, how do we, yeah, how do we bring that wonder to them and and set it up so that it's, I don't know. I mean, I had to, to be honest though, and I'll, I'll put it another way. When I did maths, that's the problem I had. You know, I did okay mm-hmm. at maths, but it was it was taught to me in such an abstract way. It wasn't like somebody said, "Chris, look out the window. Why is the sky blue?" Or you know, "Why mm-hmm. does the water? Why is there that river? Why is that one bigger than this one?" Or why, you know, why mm-hmm. do these rocky bodies cool at different rates? Like, ask that question first. Mm-hmm. There's this really spectacular big thing that's really interesting, and then give people the tools to answer those questions. So you you pr- you, you 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 provoke the interest and then you bring in the tools to um the tools that allow them to explore that curiosity mm-hmm. and i think at the certainly how i was taught some things and how i, th- I see some things being taught now it's not that way round. it's kind of mm-hmm. this is on the curriculum here you go go and find out about this rather than conjure up a question you've always had and then i'm going to teach you all the different ways in which you can answer it that would be a much more mm. appealing way to because i remember things. maths being like miss why are we doing this i'm never going to have to use this ever again and then the teacher's just not having an answer for that be like it's on your curriculum you have to do it and be like if you had that amazing question that you needed to know the answer to and mm. then someone said oh and here's a really good way of figuring out the answer here are some tools i'll help you figure out yeah. how you might go about answering that then i probably would have done maths post 16 i probably would have no, exactly. done maths a I mean, level or something and and even if even if with maths let's say you know we all want people to come and study the discipline we care about but even with maths if somebody said you need to learn maths to a sufficient level that you can sort of you know work out if somebody's given you enough change in the shop all the way through to when you're applying for a mortgage all the way through, you know like if there was some and it doesn't need to be you need to learn maths to the level where you become a mathematics lecturer at university as long <laughs> yeah. as there's some there's some way in which these things you're learning and it, and it doesn't need to be stem disciplines we're all stem people here so we're talking about stem but even if it's like literature or history, mm-hmm. or politics, or, you know, something which we can then say the reason you're reading about these people on the other side of the earth, or the reason you're reading about this thing that happened in the past is because it gives us really important context for what's happening now and what might happen in the future. That yeah. will, I think, I think, I think that will, like, yeah, it's not like you don't just need to go and read Romeo and Juliet because it's a fantastic piece of writing. It's like, actually, it says something as well really important about, um, about conflicts, it says something really important about the abstract nature of human relationships, you know, and how and and that's being played out politically in the system which is governing our daily lives in the UK. Mm. And mm-hmm. so trying to trying to like connect those dots up would be a really 
fine way of educating. I mean, I'm not I'm not a teacher, right? My, my wife is, <laughs> and I've done some mm-hmm. courses in pedagogic practice or you know pedagogic mm-hmm. um, approaches. But I do I do I, I I'm talking about this from a lot of my own experience about what turned me on and off about different bits of what I learned at school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's right. We're not sitting here trying to say this is how we fix education. It's obviously no, a very no, complex no. problem with lots of uh, lots of pressures coming from many different directions. But yeah. what I hear us talking about also is just it's a bit sad when a an education system or a society kind of drifts really heavily in the direction of like, well, you need to get a job, and so you need to get something that you know is just going to give you a direct pipeline into a job, and it kind of misses out on the the potential to like can we get excited about the worlds that we're in can we get curious about it and interested in it even if you do go on to work you know um you know a a job that maybe didn't require that specific training having that time in your life where you're like yeah i just want to learn about this exciting thing because it's cool that's that's a lifelong gift that you can that that you can give yourself and that we can kind of give each other by enabling that in in society yeah exactly self-worth and value Mm -hmm. i mean you know like if you go through a i don't know if we want to go into this but like you know Mm -hmm. if we have these classic subjects and and we're going to examine people at the age of 16 and 18 in these classically defined disciplines and if you fail in those you're a failure and out you go you don't get to go to the next you don't get to pass go and collect 200 pounds right Instead of saying, how can we make you at the age of 16 when you leave education or the age of 18 when you leave, how can we make you feel a valued and important member of society and and, and allowing people to have that? And that could be, you know, my brother's a postman. It could be, you know, he's an important Mm -hmm. member of society. My parents are both nurses. You know, I'm a geologist. You know, trying to maximize that feeling. And it's not, you know, it's not salary maximization. It's, it's, it's people feeling valued and 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 needed by the broader society around them, and and, yeah. and and that just to me again feels like it would be a thing which would tackle a lot of the the issues we have. And you know, and the reason I think it is in sport for science is because I think it narrows that gap between scientists and non-scientists, as we've seen during COVID, when we're trying to communicate quite complex science and we're trying to plumb that science into policy which affects people's lives we need people to to trust scientists and believe in what they're being told and 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 i think one way we can do that is by not having such a hard barrier between scientists and non-scientists the them and yes. us we need to try and limit that that bit and, and climate scientists know this obviously already of course <laughs> you're kind of like experts in this <laughs> yeah and that speaks to something that we brought up a minute ago of I certainly, going back to that personal experience point, um, when I kind of crossed whatever threshold I crossed to go from non-scientist to scientist, I I don't feel any different. You know, I don't I didn't suddenly become a different person. <laughs> so like, it that speaks to the fact that no, th- this is a a thing I'm experiencing and a set of you know concepts I'm exploring and a set of job opportunities that are that that were available, um, but that doesn't mean that it's some you know inaccessible thing i do want it to be more open i do want it to be more accessible for for everyone because it's it's just cool stuff that we're talking about it's cool exciting stuff that in addition to the very important public health and uh you know decision making stuff that you mentioned i mean you need a reason to to live (laughs) 
<laughs> you need yeah. a reason, you know, you need a reason to get excited about things. And of course, personal relationships, super important part of that, but also just being excited about how cool the world is, is can be a yeah. huge part of that. Yeah. And you want to go to work in the morning, don't you? And find things mm. out. I mean, somebody once described it to me as, um, cause you know, there's always this debate about, you know, what is a scientist and when do you become a scientist? So like you said, mm. It does almost going back to what you said earlier on, Ella, you know, there's this permeability, right? You can't really detect that moment when you become a scientist. Mm. Somebody did mm -hmm. try once and it did stick with me. And they said, um, it's when somebody pays you to do science. <laughs> mm -hmm. So as soon as you start getting a salary <laughs> and you have mm. to do science for cash. <laughs> mm. And I thought that was quite... I Not you know, for the joy anymore. It wasn't just for the joy anymore, exactly. <laughs> it leaves you in a very sad. uncomfortable place. <laughs> a very sad moment where you were being bought for your Capitalist science. Capitalist model of science and knowledge mm. creation. <laughs> it is, um, I mean... It, it, um, <laughs> oh no, I'm a scientist. <laughs> Exactly. There's not wrong with that though, right? You know, there's not wrong with somebody mm. saying, I I have these skills, you mm. need these skills, I need compensation for these skills. You're gonna mm -hmm. give me that compensation in the form of salary, and then I'm gonna use my skills to further your mission. There's a very transactional mm. relationship. And I, I think mm. I've always been or I'm increasingly hostile. I probably always have been, but I'm increasingly hostile to this notion that there's some like noble calling in being a scientist in, in mm. that, you know, like we're somehow better than people. We're smarter than people. What we do is more important than what other people do. I think a lot of scientists can't do other things. Let's remember. <laughs> it's not the, we don't have kind of the agony of choice yeah. that it's sometimes supposed to be. It's like, hmm, shall I be a postman or a nurse or a, or a geologist? You know, that wasn't ever on the table for me, you know, because, yeah. you know, you know, first I wasn't interested in some of those things, but equally, you know, I didn't want to go and train to do some of these things. And then we end yeah. up being an oceanographer yeah. or, or a geologist or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that self-awareness is really important for us as well, is that, we 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 just do this job and and don't get me wrong this doesn't mean i'm not trying my hardest every single day i go to work and try and answer the question that's put to me i absolutely yeah. do but i have no shame in saying you pay me for this and i will do as much as i can because let me newsflash that's what everybody else in the world is doing in terms of their employment yeah and yeah. and and some of those people are unhappier than academics some of those people are happier than academics right you know mm -hmm. there's just that mix but some like lots of people are just offering services for cash and i don't think there's anything i don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah i mean <laughs> I sure know. you want to enjoy your job and feel like it's worthwhile and like you've got purpose that's a lovely yep. added bonus but also in the world we live in there has to be a transactional nature because ultimately if you're not getting paid for your skills and your time then mm. you're mm. not going to survive what yeah. are you going to do yeah. Yeah, and the question like is how. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you know, I was just going to react to something you said. I like what you said about a lot of scientists can't do other things. I've been, I've been contemplating mm -hmm. that, and because um, uh, some of my, some of my extended relatives. Um, got the very mistaken impression along the way that I would be <laughs> that I would be that I would be upset if my son went into like the trades. No, no, not at all. Far, far be it. If he finds like a trade that he is good at and can it feels good about doing and can make money, I'm over the moon. I'm thrilled. I'm like awesome. I think. I mean, I can't handle. I couldn't be a plumber. 
I'm, it just wouldn't. It is. It doesn't work out. I'm. Uh, I'm way too sensitive. I'm way too sensitive. And that, that doesn't. That doesn't make me better than anybody. I like can't really do that stuff. So I, I have to find something else to survive. Like something else to keep the lights on. No, exactly. You know. <laughs> no, exactly. And you know, same with you know. I think as well. This is a very solidly middle class thing as well, isn't it? Where, you know, if you go to university or higher education or wherever you get to in that 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 you know you become a professor at some university. Hmm. There's an expectation that, you know, your children, if you have them, they you want them possibly to follow in your footsteps, but certainly to go to higher education. They've got to go to university. <laughs> and all I want from my my three daughters is them to be to have experiences that which mean that they're nice people and mm-hmm. that I want to have dinner with them when they're older. You know? I I and 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 they can go to university and come become complete monsters and I could dislike them because they, you know, and I, and I don't want to spend time with them. I don't want that, you know, if, if, hmm. if I then can boast to the next door neighbours they went to university X or Y. I just want them to be happy and I want them to try and find their own path so that, you know, I, you know, my kids aren't, my kids aren't a project, right. you know, our kids yeah. are not projects for yeah. us. And I think that's hmm. one thing sometimes people get confused about is that their children's achievements are a reflection of themselves rather than their children's achievements are a reflection of of their own journey yeah definitely. You know? as parents we just get to learn who our kids are you know like there's not really that much you can do to, sh- to shape a person you know they're, they're going to be who they are you can try to help them and like you said you can try to nudge them towards hopefully being kind and kind yeah. of themselves also kind of themselves as well as as people around them but ultimately they are who they are they are and yeah i absolutely agree you're totally right they're not a project for us to you know put up on a shelf and say look what look what i did no 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 (laughs) (laughs) it definitely is though you know going to tell the next door neighbors well they passed grade three in piano or oh they're going to oxford next year or that you know there's this like pride which is sort of reflected from your children and actually it could have nothing to Mm. do with you because you've just been a complete like you know you've completely (laughs) held them back and you know yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) it might have nothing to do with you (laughs) Despite In my best efforts, you. they got they got an auction. Anyway, you know, a monster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm from a long line of thespians. I think um, my my whole family were like bemused by the idea of any kind of like, academia. But why? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you going to tread the boards like all of us before you? <laughs> yeah. Can we swap? I'd quite like to do that for a job. That'd be kind of good, like acting. Yeah. yeah, I've I've come full oh, circle. I feel now I do a lot of like combining the two, like science and jazz hand. <laughs> so That's maybe true. I should start. That's I don't true. know, like a tap dancing yeah. musical about climate change. <laughs> I could I could see where you, yeah I see where you use some of those muscles yeah for your videos yeah. and for you know just just your general like um, public the jokes sort of thing and the jokes and things. The, yeah your your bant index. The, um, yeah, really high band index. H index yeah. of one, band index <laughs> of ten. <laughs> Amazing. Oh gosh. Um, so we talked a little bit about your your history. We obviously didn't do like a super exhaustive, you know, every bit of your history. But if we've got that kind of time scale, can I ask you some questions about what what you've learned along the way? Um, is that cool? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Sharp exhale of breath. <laughs> What have I learned uh, it, along the way? Or is it is it torture? What have you learned about science is a question that we often ask on this. And it could be anything that, you, that wasn't obvious to you beforehand, you know, just about the way it works or even just some aspect of, of science as a set of 
ideas and evolving practice. What does that make you think of? I guess I didn't really understand how important people were in science and who gets to do it and what gets done. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think that that's my straight up answer. I, I came into science thinking that the, probably like many people, that science was this thing, it was very clean and had sharp edges mm -hmm. and we, we kind of developed it, we applied it to solve problems to, to, to improve people's lives and it was all jolly and nice. And then I started to learn about discrimination and I started to learn mm -hmm. about, you know, who gets to answer questions, who gets a seat at the table to do science, <laughs> if you will. Um, how there was an interface between scientists and policymakers, politicians, and then the public. I was unaware of the human bits of that and how mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. um, limited sometimes the, the deployment, if you will, of really awesome science mm -hmm. for the betterment of, of people in society. I think that's what I've learned along the way is, and, you know, we've talked about um you know we've thought a bit about um, metrics used to assess individuals as scientists and institutions through lead tables let's say mm -hmm. all of those are human activities they are things built by humans who have got biases and interests and self-interests of course yeah and 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 it just distorts so much of the science it, it just it and you know in my view it, it limits what we can and should be doing with our with with, mm. with ourselves as scientists and I think 17 years into it, I, I, you know, I can't, you know, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I, I, it probably has increasingly left me at this low ebb about about that side of human nature, and and, mm. and I do find it quite uh, traumatizing at times, to be honest. That that we 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 have, and I think as well the other the other bit of this is I think as well as a, as an academic scientist, remember scientists come in many flavors. That's one of the fa the, the the failings of academia is that we think only scientists work in academia we're in this ivory tower there's there's scientists mm. everywhere there's scientists oh everywhere. yeah okay like i think that scientists like to think that they're not biased because they have this very dispassionate quantitative way of doing things you know these metrics can't mm. be bad because they're numbers i'm not biased <laughs> because you know i'm just doing this thing with this tool or this machine but trying to get people to 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 reflect on that is 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 the is the other is the, is the, is the, yeah. the, the disappointing thing is is <laughs> but, that they're but not the p value <laughs> but the p value yeah. oh my you know yeah exactly <laughs> yeah you know and yeah. it, it comes down to this you know what's what's the saying um they were so concerned as to whether they could they didn't stop to think about whether they should yes yeah yeah well you kind of answered the next question about what have you learned about academia, unless you have a different <laughs> thing that's sort of science and academia all, all wrapped up in, in there. Can, can um, I be more positive for one second? I, I've learned yeah. in academia that there are some amazing people and some people who've, who happen to be geologists, they happen to be scientists, but that's a very kind of almost limited part of their person. Mm -hmm, they do mm -hmm. that to get paid. What they're really deeply interested in are various aspects of social justice. And it just so happens that they're applying that interest to trying to solve problems in um, academia or in, in their discipline. So mm. I have learned that, that there's there's some really amazing people. And maybe before coming into academia, I didn't think of that. I thought those people would either be in like philosophy or humanities disciplines or, or you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I guess I thought, again, all the scientists would just be like number crunchers like me or people who are very, you know, mm. unemotional, dispassionate, rational people. And, and then, you know, there's people in there who are, who, who are uh, very emotional creatures, you know, mental health issues, you know, people who talk about that, who are classically trained physicists, but they're talking about their very real selves. And, mm -hmm. and that I find really inspiring because 
suddenly you don't have to limit who you are in in, in doing this bit of science. So don't have to, um, you know, hide bits yeah. of yourself. Yeah, and oh, that that, that, that yeah yeah that makes me smile. I really I really like that. Um, I don't have a lot to add to it, but we got um, what have you learned about? If I can just jump awkwardly back into the questions, what no, have you no. learned about about writing? like academic writing or proposal writing or was something that you've you've gleaned about this world of putting ideas on electronic paper so to speak (laughs) uh number one i absolutely love writing scientific writing i love writing full stop number two i've learned that writing is very 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 hard for some people and they Mm -hmm. don't enjoy it as much as i do (laughs) and again you know i came into it thinking this is amazing somebody wants to hear what i've got to say through the medium of my writing and then there's lots of people going oh my god somebody wants to hear what i've got to say through the medium of my writing (laughs) (laughs) and and, uh you know so i I guess i've learned those things and then and then i guess that the bit in between that the third thing i would say is um i've learned how to try and break down writing to make it more enjoyable for those people who don't enjoy doing it so trying to forensically dissect my own writing as well as writing of others to give people tools to allow them even if they don't enjoy the writing process they at least have a set of tools which allows them to do it efficiently and with minimal Mm -hmm. minimal sort of pain if you will because i'm quite dull so i don't think scientific writing needs to be kind of high literature there if you look at scientific writing actually and there's lots of books around this right it's actually Mm. it's actually quite a formulaic set of things there's certain constructions this you put Mm -hmm. the words in a certain order you know and sometimes there's a couple of different orders you could put the words in but ultimately it's a fairly fixed dimensional space uh, to write Mm -hmm. a paper i think and i think i think we do a poor job sometimes of telling people that and training people how to look for that that breakdown in in written pieces of work because people just think you know somebody sits down just types out on their typewriter and then the paper appears Mm -hmm. overnight it doesn't it takes weeks months Mm -hmm. years to produce oh, things yeah. and it also yeah. takes weeks months and years to write any individual paper so yeah i do think that um i, I do think it's simpler than we often tell people about uh, we train people to, to do it yeah that's right and i totally agree with that and even in terms of the the style i really liked what you said about you can keep it simple actually you can be direct you don't have to um i've got one of my personal um, things that uh, my my little hill that I die on, I'm willing, to, will, willing to die move on over. Is like move over, <laughs> <laughs> willing willing to die on is that I really think we could use active voice more, where you just say you just talk directly, you don't Thank do you. the whole passive voice thing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not saying I'm not saying you have to use it 110 percent of the time, but like we don't we really default to this very awkward, very abstract, very strange. The results way were evaluated by the authors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, like an, it was, a, it was an out of body experience. So I kind of like put myself <laughs> out of my body and then I watch myself um, evaluate. And I, I know I I I mean the one reason I quite like it is because. I kind of like this idea that I could be sitting with one of you two, with you almost talking me through the paper, or I was in the lab when you were doing the experiments or something. You know, I I do, I like that 
I like that nearness of the reader-author relationship that can come yes. from the active voice, where it's much more of a her human endeavour. Yeah, and you know, some of the definitely. criticisms that you get about active voice is, well, if you make it too much of a human endeavour, the humans are putting themselves too much into this scientific thing. But ultimately, yeah. that's what it is. We did this. We ran this yeah. experiment. We interpreted the results. We yeah. identified a relationship between X and Y. That's the truth of the matter. Yeah, right? they didn't do it himself. <laughs> it didn't do it itself. Yeah, it wasn't a ghost, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a seance and uh, these spirits told us that uh, actually this crustal magnetism is going on. Just, yeah, really? yeah, exactly. And there I was smoking pot and it came to me. <laughs> <laughs> this equation... This equation was derived from Navier Smokes equations. Yeah, Navier Smokes. Oh, that's good. good. I heard that one. See, before. I told you, Vance Index Ten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Navier Smokes equation. So yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That's maybe that's the next thing we need to do in fluid mechanics. That's why we've been stuck for a while. We just need to have some. some we need to liberate, <laughs> liberate the mind and take it into another space and time. <laughs> right, right now we got our EPSRC proposal right here. We've, we've come up. With, yeah, so yeah, exactly. We're gonna put it in. This is going to be, um, yeah. Don't Gilbert broadcast this and... podcast until you, you you kind of like write the proposal, though, of course, because otherwise somebody will steal it. What what have what have you learned about Ben Britton? <laughs> oh God, what have I learned about Ben? Yeah, um, that might be a weird. You have this legendary uh, Twitter science Twitter friendship that you know you like. You're, you're very very open with it, and well, for for my feed, it has been. I'm like, there they are again. Yeah, he's <laughs> um, again. he's he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. Oh, cool. And he's a very he's a very dear friend to me. He has, in the five years or so, I've kind of really got to know him. He's, I'm a better person for having known him. Oh, that's sweet. You know, yeah. I think um, he's forced. I think he's forced me to think harder about myself in 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 like either positive things about myself or you know negative things about myself. Mm. I think I find it inspirational the way he comes from a place of educational privilege of ab the absolute kind, and yet he has a lot of self-awareness around that and he's challenging systems that allow people in, who have come from his background to advance over others who mm -hmm. haven't and you know he's he's i find that very inspirational to be around uh, and to mm -hmm. and to hear him and people like him talking so publicly and at some substantial risk to their own career trajectory about these issues and i, I find that as a more senior scientist very um enriching and, and a motivator for me to keep speaking out as well and i think ben is mm -hmm has done that he likes to drink he likes to run you know mm -hmm. all things i like to do and and there's mm -hmm. a you know there's a shared friendship around around those two things um do you ever combine the two uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have <laughs> i just i'm just thinking when he came back from christmas Canada day park christmas, run <laughs> yeah well yeah you know the Marathon oh. de Medoc, the, the marathon in France, which visits, visits all the My vineyards as you go My friend's around. partner did that, and she said it was yeah. a spectacular experience, but quite I'm difficult. Not, <laughs> you know, I, I run a lot, right? But uh, And I drink a modest amount. Um, <laughs> but the thought of combining the two is is certainly not helping my list. But um, no, I think, mm. I think that's good. I think as well, having friends like Ben, who who can tell you when you're wrong and why or I, th I think i think that's a sign of a very positive friendship where yeah um people aren't like praising you all the time 
mm-hmm. and letting you get away with you know getting letting you get away with murder or, or having views mm. which are just distasteful or problematic yeah somebody who, somebody who's who who has so you have a relationship with them where they can do that to you and you can struggle with it when they first say to you of course and, mm. and feel upset that you've upset them or upset others um but i deeply value uh, that in, in in my friendship with him that he's not he's not averse to to, to doing that and, and likewise when i've, I've talked to him as well it, it's been fine Oh, and also, he just sends me wonderful. cool things on WhatsApp. You know, just sends me <laughs> ah, that's wonderful. No, that's that's really really well said. And it's um, yeah, I, I've got some friends who are also willing to do that for me, and they're very kind about it. They're like, you know, hey, do you mind if I, you know, flag up this thing or that thing? And yeah, I'm I'm very interested in hearing about stuff like that from trusted people in my life. I'm like, yes, please, like, because. I'm going to remain oblivious to a lot of stuff if I don't get some feedback. So I really, really appreciate and value that feedback. Um, and you, you do, yeah, you notice you know. it as well with some people you have a kind of you know, functioning relationship with. Maybe it's almost a friendship, but actually it's really, really hard to have that difficult conversation, right? So there's a bit where you can have a relationship which is all jolly and good, but then when something needs to be said, if, if you feel that you can't say that, then that's not to say the friendship is worthless. It's just to say the friendship has a limit. And and, and those very deep friendships are, 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 are founding, founded on 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 the, that difficult last step where something has to be said, and and then from that you can rebuild the friendship back to where it was before. Um, yeah, it's truth yeah. and trust and honesty, isn't it? It's, I trust you to be honest about you know a reflection of what my actions are, and I will do the same for you. Yeah, why are you criticizing me? If somebody just criticizes you, if somebody can criticize you and then articulate why and how they want you to grow, if you will, I don't hate to sound like a kind of psychoanalyst, but how they are, how you're going to move on from that criticism in a positive sense. If they're doing it with that whole package, mm-hmm. then it's fine. If they just rock up and they just scream and shout at you, and there's no construction, there's no constructive outcome of this. Then you just, it's just hard to engage with those people, and mm-hmm. it's a shame. But that's just how it is. Yeah, Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> well, then, no, but you know, Twitter's, Twitter's an easy target, right? Of course. And you, you mentioned Ben, and you mentioned Twitter. Again, if I was to look at the nine years or so I've been using it, do I think I'm a better person for having used social media? Yes, I can't deny it. I mean, I'm I'm a more informed human being. I, yeah. I, I'm more informed about people who aren't like me. I get mm-hmm. depressed and sad at people's views on there. I think people can be reactionary, but mm-hmm. I think it's a forum for outrage. But equally, it's a safe space for some people who otherwise would be marginalized and wouldn't feel any sense of collegiality that would make them realize that they have an experience which isn't unique and they can seek yeah, yeah. companionship. And I think I do think some of the critics of social media like being able to criticize it is from a point of privilege you know they want it to be Mm. a certain type of space to operate in a certain type of way but the world isn't like that Mm, mm. social media is essentially a reflection of broader society Mm. but with 240 characters like yeah. if you've never yeah, been, if yeah. you've never been in, if you've never been in a staff meeting and seen somebody be racist, or never been in a staff meeting and seen a blatant display display of transphobia or something, mm-hmm. um, you've been in that you've you've been in the wrong staff rooms, or you've not been paying attention. If you right, just think it's right. happening on Twitter, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really well said. I'm really glad you you added that because just to echo what you're saying, basically, that's science twitter and just you know twitter in general and other social media places like you know discord and whatnot have been you just get to hear directly from 
the people who are affected by these situations. You get to hear directly, you know, with no filters. And that's so valuable. And it's, it's so important because somebody can say, yeah. oh, well, here's here's this email I received. Uh, yep, this was in my inbox. And here's what this person said to me. And here's what, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of making up an example, but otherwise yeah. you wouldn't get to see that email necessarily. You wouldn't get to hear it's- about that staff meeting, like you said. No, but it's, it's exactly this point, right? It's, and, you know, and you hear it from people's parents and the older generation is like, well, when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have this thing about non-binary. There's no non-binary people. I think it's just a fad or it's a thing that I heard about on Twitter. And it's because this young person is talking about it, this young person over here. And it's like, no, these mm-hmm. things have always existed in mm-hmm. society. You know, there's a growing awareness about it because we have become more progressive in some senses, or at least we have tools which allow us to talk more openly about it so it looks like it's more widespread amongst this population but it's not it's actually not more widespread you know it's possibly mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. as it was before but people yeah. now are able to be them full selves and talk about it and we as allies in different spaces or people who are interested and want to try and educate other people we are talking about it as well and and it looks like it's rampant and that's you know it's the people do that as a as, with a negative intent of course they mm. use that term yeah, um, but yeah. it's not. It's just deeply simple frustrating. Simple reporting that... bias. <laughs> it is. It is simple reporting bias. Exactly. And, 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 it, and it works the other way, of course. And that's what the Twitter critics would say is that, you know, we hear more about it because people on Twitter are always talking about it. It's like, well, yeah, but racism doesn't just exist on Twitter because we're talking about it. <laughs> you know? it's, it's yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> structural problems that twitter just happens to be a microcosm of society which has the same structural problems it's not great but neither's life and (laughs) and society you know i don't want to sound too negative but it is just Mm. a reflection of that but yeah that's right and the the favorite one of the favorite graphics that uh, goes around to talk about the phenomenon you're talking about probably I guess a lot of people who are listening may have seen it or are aware of it. It's that percentage of left-handed people over time. Do you know the one? No. It's, but this one's really, it's really interesting because it, it tracks over a few decades of percentage of left-handed people, and it might be in the States. And what the graph does is it goes from a very low percentage because there was a time not that long ago when being left-handed was, was stigmatized and suppressed and actively um, actively suppressed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually my, my wife suffered from that a bit. She is left-handed and she did have teachers in school, like take the pen out of her hand and say, no, no, use, use your other hand. This is in the eighties. You know, this is not, not that long ago, but the yeah. graph shows, you know, a few decades and it shows the percentage of left-handed people increasing. Now, of course, the percentage of left-handed people is not actually increasing, <laughs> but the percentage of people who are comfortable being like writing with their left hand just out in public and admitting to it and being open yeah, yeah. It is it does increase. And then after a few uh, decades, it, it, it flattens, right? The percentage doesn't just keep increasing forever and ever and ever. At some point we reach whatever the actual background rate of, you know, left-handed people is. And then, it, and then it plateaus. Um, yeah, so <laughs> You're speaking to like, a left-handed um, person as well. So uh, oh, okay. I don't know if I'd have been burnt as a witch or something, um, <laughs> or, you know, like, you know, these people who were persecuted for having odd, um physical representations of evil you know like left-handedness gosh it's such a mundane yeah, did, one isn't it it's such a like <laughs> oh my gosh they write with their other hand 
I have a very nerdy thing about this, mm. right? So in um, in structural geology, um, we have these uh, faults, which mm. we have normal faults, we have reverse faults, and we have the strike-slip faults, they're called. So they're like the San Andreas. So this is when the Earth's tectonic plates move like this. So you got one, one hand sliding on top of the other. I'm going to editorialize a little bit. So you got one hand sliding on top, top of the other hand. So when your top hand moves to your left, mm-hmm. that's called a sinistral fault. Oh. <laughs> and the reason being is because it's a left a left directed motion so this left-handedness yeah. or this leftness was actually seen as evil sinistral is a derivative of sinister yeah but we oh still call gosh. those sinistral faults wow when the, one plate moves to the left wild oh my gosh <laughs> is, it, is it is it stuck or can you can we can we change it is that too late <laughs> Are they going to be called that forever? Geology, man. <laughs> I don't make the rules. Yeah. <laughs> Break the rules. <laughs> yeah. You could write an opinion piece. This is why we yeah. should stop calling it. The... Well, in astronomy, they still call, um, they have this word planetary nebula for something that has nothing to do with a planet, but it's just kind of stuck now. <laughs> like, well, okay. shoot, we, we yeah. misnamed it and yeah, yeah. it can be stuck. Yeah. Well, how are you feeling? Is there anything else that either one of you want to talk about? No, I think hopefully we've covered everything you'd wanted to talk about. Yeah. Hopefully you haven't rambled too much. No, no, this has been amazing. This has been really, really good. You know, I, uh, I've, I've had a really excellent time chatting with you both. This has been such a fun way to spend, spend this time and to, to get to know you a bit. Yeah. So I just want to end with thank, thanks again. Thanks for the time and thanks for being so open with us and sharing your excellent thoughts about so many topics. No, okay. thank you. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. And, thank you so well, much for the invitation to come on. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. That's so, been super fun. Definitely. I think the Bant Index is a great takeaway from this, if we had to pull. <laughs> you know, like, that's, a, that's a great takeaway from this episode. And, and, and Navier Smokes. Navier Smokes. We've had Navier lots of Smokes. hits. That is, uh, hits that is the, yeah. <laughs> 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 Somebody needs to... Um, so we need that as like the album cover art for this episode is it's the it's a character it's like a it's like a cowboy-ish kind of character navia smokes navia smokes um, yeah you can just sit there yeah. with a massive like bifter just like <laughs> on the back of a <laughs> horse <laughs> on the back of a horse <laughs> on the top of a oh, yeah, sinister yeah. strike slip fault yes yeah maybe a unicorn <laughs> instead of a horse or a pegasus yeah. or something. <laughs> Don't don't test me. I'm incompressible. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) And on that, I guess I'll let you go before your kids kids show up and you can go go be a parent, you know. Well, yeah. Thanks again so much, Chris and Ella. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you later. There you have it. Our conversation with Chris Jackson, the uncomparable, the incomparable Chris Jackson. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Size Matters, S-E-I-S underscore matters. I'm Danny Jones. You can find me at Dan Jones Ocean. Ella Gilbert, you can find her at Dr. underscore Gilbs with a Z or a Z. Big thanks to Sean Williams Page for editing services. Thanks to Lillian Blair for audio engineering consulting. If you want updates on the podcast, you can follow us at Pod on Twitter also. There you go. And I just want to close with a little bit more gratitude. I really appreciate Chris's presence. He's such a positive, warm person and such an energetic person. And he's putting that positive energy into the, the world and I really appreciate it. But at the same time, he's not afraid to point at things, call attention to things that need to be rethought, that need to be adjusted. 
points of problems. I think that's a great way to be, and I think Chris strikes a great balance. And thanks to all of you for listening, for downloading, subscribing, for sending in your suggestions. Uh, we, we all appreciate it. And yeah, I, we're still on a roughly monthly schedule, so hopefully we will see you. We should see you back next month. Take care. Yeah, talk to you later.